All right? All right, all right. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2 today. For the first time since 2013, when we planted True Life Church for the first time, I do not have a series to kick off the year with. Don't know where we're going. (laughs) Um, We usually have a plan for the first few months. Don't have that yet. Going to be taking our time figuring that out. Just going to be sharing some texts, passages that are on my heart week to week. uh, Things that are popping out at me about our, our church just to help anchor us. Just to anchor us back into God's story. What is God up to and how do we fit into it? That's kind of just... What I want to do is share some stuff that's on my heart. I'm also going to clarify and talk about some of the things that came up in the uh, survey that we did last month, evaluating uh, how our core values have been embraced by our church this past year. Many of you guys filled that out. We sent that out to our members, our official members, but we invited anybody else to be part of it. Um, And so I'll be sharing some of that over the course of the month. Um, But today we're going to be looking at a passage in Acts chapter 2. It's a picture of the early church. We're going to be inserting, we're just going to be in that little section, verses 42 to 47. So let me just give you a little background of what's going on here. Jesus has died, and then he's risen again, and he's appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days. And he said to them, right before he ascended up to heaven, he said to his followers, there were about 120 of them at this point, and he says to them, uh, stay in Jerusalem, until you receive power from the Holy Spirit, and then you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be my, my testifiers. You're going to be my storytellers to the ends of the earth. But stay until you receive that power from the Holy Spirit. And so he ascended into heaven, and about 10 days later, so 10 days later would have been 50 days after he rose from the dead. That's the day of Pentecost. They're gathered together, and they're praying, and all of a sudden they're filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit falls on them, and he fills them. And all of a sudden, they start speaking these other languages. And it's an interesting time to do that because at this moment, because of the day of Pentecost, there was people from all over, Jews from all over the Roman Empire who were visiting Jerusalem. And they were speaking different languages. And all of a sudden, they're hearing these disciples speaking their native tongue. And some of them are like, what's up? How how do they know my language? And others are saying, I think they're drunk. They're just saying nonsense. And then Peter stands up and he's like, guys, we're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Here's what's going on. This is a fulfillment of what was prophesied long ago. And he starts to tell them about Jesus of Nazareth, who actually came back from the dead, and who is Lord of all. He's King of Kings. And Peter's like, you better trust in him. Like, you, you, better, you better get on his side. You better repent and turn to him. And the Bible says 3,000 people that day, 3,000 people, think about this, 3,000 people trusted in Jesus and are baptized. Now, some would say that 3,000 was just numbering the men. And if that's the case, then that add women and add children, and it could be upwards of 10,000 people who were added to the church that day. Wrap your heads around this. 120 people to 10,000 literally overnight. Think about how, number one, exciting that would be, and number two, the stress. Think about that. I mean, yes, it's exciting. For those 120, they're like, wow, look what God did. And all of a sudden, I would imagine, they're like, how do we manage this? How do we deal with this? How do we disciple these people? How do we care for these people? And I would imagine some others are like, you know what? I don't like this. There's too many people. I don't know everybody. I'd like to, I like it when we're small and we know everybody. We know each other. And now there's 10,000. I can't know even 1%. How do we do this? Maybe some people all of a sudden felt threatened in their, their positions and their prominence and their importance in the church community. Right? When you're small, you can feel important. All of a sudden, it's 10,000. You're not really a known. So all of a sudden, there's things going on. It's shifted. 
literally overnight. And then Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, the very next passage, after he tells us that 3,000 people are added to the church, he says this. This is a picture of what was going on in the church. Um, actually, can we stand as I read this? Can we stand for the, for the word of God as we read this together? This is what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, said. He said, they devoted themselves, thousands of followers of Jesus, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give any, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, amen. You can have a seat. So that's what was going on. And we're going to dissect this passage today. And what we're going to see is that there are things listed here that the people were dedicated to, disciplines that the people embraced in their life, things that they did to be faithful as followers of Jesus. And then there are things listed here that God did that were out of their control. This was just God doing stuff. So there was stuff that they did, and there was stuff that God did, that they experienced. And both are important. There's like disciplines and rhythms that they embraced, and then they were also experiencing God. Because that's the point. That's the point of any disciplines we embrace. We don't just do things. We don't do prayer or scripture reading to check it off the list and go, well, I'm a good Christian. Now we do those things in order to experience God, that awe, that wonder seeing God move, transform lives. God wants us to experience it. We're going to look at both sides of it, and we're going to be asking the question, are these things that we are still called to do today? And are these things that we should expect still today God to do in our community? And there's two, let me preface this by saying there's two kind of dangers when reading the book of Acts, Okay. Two kind of extreme sides. One, one extreme danger is to read everything as prescriptive, meaning everything that Luke writes in Acts is something that we better start doing. There's, there's a danger in that because not everything is meant to be prescriptive. Everything is, is written descriptively. Luke was simply describing what happened with the early church, and so not everything is meant to be taken as, well, we better do it exactly like they do it. For example, the passage we just read, we, we saw that some the believers were selling homes and giving the proceeds to the church to distribute to anybody who had need. If we read that prescriptively, that means I get to say, y'all better sell your houses and give the money in our offering. I don't get to say that because that's not a prescriptive text. It's just Luke describing. Now, the other extreme is to reduce it to only a descriptive story, as if there's nothing to emulate, which as other people will say, they'll, they'll take parts that are uncomfortable and say, well, that was just for the early church. We live in 2022 now, and things are different. You know, they, they could sell their homes and give the proceeds. We can't be that radical in our generosity because we got school fundraisers and private schools to pay for, and we got colleges, and we got, we got more of a life than they did now. And that would be wrong, too, because there's principles of radical generosity that we are to still embrace. So that's an example of how we got to avoid both extremes. And that's why it's important to ask the question, are we still called to do the things that we see them doing? And are we still to expect God to do the things that we see God doing? Make sense? 
Okay, so at that, I'm going to break this up into a few different parts to help you follow. Part one is what they were doing, what the people were doing. What did they do with their lives? What does Luke tell, the, tell us that they did? Uh, so let's, let's look at, again at this text, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves. That's what they did. They devoted themselves. They devoted. That word devoted in Greek means devoted. It means committed. It means you give your life to something. It means you give your time, your energy, your thought processes, your emotional focus to something above other things. Right? If two people are getting married, they're standing up in front of God and friends and family, and they're giving their vows. What are they vowing? They're saying, I'm going to be devoted to you above all other women or all other men. I'm going to be more devoted to you than I am my family of origin. As much as I love mom and dad, I'm more devoted to you now than I, or at least it should be that way, than I am to my mom and dad, my family of origin, my college roommate. I'm devoted to you. You're my priority and so to make you a priority, that might mean sacrificing some other things, right? That's what devoted means. So let's just pause. What are you devoted to? Like when somebody looks at your life, what do they see you being devoted to? My daughter, Sienna, she's devoted to gymnastics. You can't watch her week without saying, that girl's devoted to gymnastics. Practicing outside in the rain, she just can't stop. What are you devoted to? Is it your job? Making money, a hobby, golf, what, what is it? If somebody was to look at you, what would they say you are devoted to? What were they devoted to? Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. So this is the apostles' teaching from the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures, how they are fulfilled in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So teaching Old Testament into Jesus' life, what Jesus taught, what Jesus did. So they're teaching. And so the, 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 the followers of Jesus now are devoted to hearing this teaching and understanding it and seeing, oh, that's how the Old Testament, that's how the book of Exodus was fulfilled in Jesus. Oh, I see. They wanted to understand the story of God. They were committed and devoted to understanding that. They were devoted to, by the way, because if we don't understand and are, or if we're not devoted to the story of God, what happens is our minds are easily distracted by other stories. Our hearts drift away from the story of God easily into other stories. And, our, and we're just driven by the story of our own making. The American dream story, for example, or some story that our parents put in our heads or some coach or some, you know, college professor. So we get driven by those stories. So these guys want to say, I want to be devoted to the story of God and understand how it fits into or how I fit into that story. They were devoted to fellowship. Fellowship, the Greek word is koinonia, and it's not, many people use it like anytime Christians hang out and socialize, that's fellowship. That's not the case. You get together for a potluck or have a cup of coffee, that's not necessarily fellowship. Socializing with other Christians doesn't mean fellowship. What the, the Luke has given us the you know, understanding of fellowship for Luke is that they are giving their lives to each other. And we see this in the next section where he said, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's what he means by fellowship. There is a cementing together by the Holy Spirit 
united around a love for Jesus. We've all been brought into the family of God together. You're my brother. You're my sister now. So my life is yours. I'm devoted to you. I'm devoted to spending time with you. And my stuff is your stuff. That's Luke's idea of fellowship here. He said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That was a kind of a big gathering. They broke bread in their homes, smaller gatherings, and ate together. That phrase, they continued to meet, that phrase continued to meet. See that? See it? You guys aren't online, by the way. You know that, right? You guys can respond back, and I can hear you. <laughs> um, that phrase is translated, or, or that phrase it comes from the same Greek word as devoted. So they devoted. It's the same thing. They devoted themselves to meeting together, giving their lives to each other. So, it's not, so, so getting together for a potluck or coffee can be fellowship if it's part of the overall picture of my life is yours. We're opening our lives up to each other. Does that make sense? All right, let's go back to uh, verse 42. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread. This could be a reference to the Lord's Supper where they remember Jesus' body being given on the cross and his blood being spilled. It could also just be a reference to meals in general. They were just sharing meals together, breaking bread together in their home. But they were doing it in such a way, the picture that Luke has given us is that it's, it's worship either way. Like they were sharing a meal together and it was worship. They were worshiping God over a meal together. And then to prayer. And then to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They believed in the power of prayer. They believed that even though God is sovereign over all things and in control over all things, that somehow he has ordained their prayers will change circumstances. Their prayers will change other people's hearts and lives. And they were devoted to that. Are we devoted to prayer? We did an evaluation, as I referenced earlier, of our um, core values, values that I preached on last January. And we kind of ended the year by saying, hey, how, how, have our, how has our church embraced some of this? Um, one of those core values was prayer. Like, we want to be a praying church. And I want to share just a few snippets from that survey, the results. Because um, when I preached on it last year, I said that we, we, we want to embrace it individually. We want to embrace it corporately. One of our goals for the year was to, um, by March of 2022, to have 10 weekly prayer gatherings happening throughout our church. Um, we've got four happening weekly. We've got a fifth one that will maybe be moving weekly soon. We've got a sixth one that might be starting soon. Um, and, and so uh, that's kind of what we've been doing as a church. We've, been, we've done some church-wide fast together. But here are some things that p individuals said in the survey. Let me just sh share a few things with you. One of the questions was, I spend time in prayer every day. 55% of the people who filled this out said yes. Now, that was encouraging to me. I actually thought it might be lower. No, no offense. Call me pessimistic. But I was, I was kind of encouraged by that. I, I wanted to look at the age difference because, you know, and so those under 39 years old, only 36% of them, and then those over 39 years old said 50, or 57% of them said, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm spending time in, in prayer every day. Um, you can come to whatever conclusions you want about those age differences, but I just uh, thought that was interesting. Um, here's another question. Uh, the Bible is the foundation of prayer. 78% of the people who filled this out said yes. I was encouraged by that. I was encouraged by that. And I'm going to talk about why. But 78% said, yeah, yeah, Scripture is the foundation of prayer. 
Three pe- uh, a third question, do you pray regularly with your spouse? This is for married people, obviously. Um, 37% said most days. I was encouraged by that. I honestly thought that would be lower. Now, there's obviously room for improvement. The, the other uh, 63% could, you know, move towards, towards that. Um, but I was actually encouraged by that. And then one more. Uh, which value are you most passionate about? Uh, was, was one of the questions. And 43% of the people said prayer. And th- that's the breakdown of the other ones. Um, here's why you can, you know, again, you can look at that from different perspectives. I was encouraged by prayer got the most kind of votes on that, if lack of a better word. Um, I was encouraged by that because as one person actually put it in the survey, prayer is the foundation that will lead to us being effective in all the other things, understanding the other things and being effective at the other things. So generosity, evangelism, healing, justice, all those things can't be done correctly and properly and rightly without prayer. So that's why I was encouraged by that, but obviously still room for improvement for us to embrace this value uh, more. So uh, back to our, our text in Acts, um, it's important to note that the, the things uh, that, that Luke said they were devoted to, apostles teaching, prayer, breaking of bread, those things are all overlapping, right? It's not like they break bread and share a meal together and they go, okay, it's now it's prayer time. Let's move. Like, it's all happening together, right? That's the picture here. It's, they're, they're, they're fellowshipping by having meals and they're praying together, right? And maybe they're hearing the apostles teaching while they're eating. Like, there's, it's going together. Um, but, but I want to move on to part two here. And I want to ask a few questions about what we just looked at. Okay? You, you following me so far? Okay. So, I think I have three questions here, yep. Three questions, and you can write these down if you want. Being together in large groups and small groups was essential to the early church. Should it be for us? Should it be for us? Because again, this was just Luke describing what was going on. Doesn't necessarily mean, oh, we better be meeting in the temple courts every day and meeting in homes every day, like, right? You, you get what I'm saying? But should that be a priority for us? I'm going to argue, yes, it should be. (laughs) It should be. There's no formula to it. Can't put a formula on it. But it should be a priority for us. Uh, Large group gathering on Sunday. I know the evening's not convenient for everybody. I'm personally praying that we can be back to mornings by Easter somehow, some way. But either way, large group gathering is important, I believe, when we can all come together. And then smaller groups, when we can meet in each other's homes is still important when we can have more intimate conversations and get to know each other and be more vulnerable with each other in that setting. Uh, we, we are going to be promoting our winter life groups starting next week. And if you're not in one, I want to encourage you to get in one. Even if you've been around True Life for a while and you're so used to not being in one that you think it's weird now to join one, it's not weird now to join one. Join one. Let me say that some of you guys who are in like multiple life groups, if that's keeping you from being consistent with one, Get out of all, all, all the rest and pick one and be consistent so that people can know you, be known by you, challenge you, not hopping around and being inconsistent at two or three, which sometimes happens. Life group leaders, I want to I challenge you. If you meet bi-weekly, I want to encourage you to go weekly, to go weekly. Make it more frequent because it, it, it just is hard to get momentum going with anything less than weekly. If these guys were meeting daily, at least go weekly, because the more, if, if Sally, for example, misses one week, 
and it's bi-weekly, you've only seen Sally again for a month, right? But if it's weekly, it also leads to more daily conversations, phone calls with each other. The more you see somebody, the more you see somebody. The less you see somebody, the less they're in your mind. And then you're not thinking about calling them, texting them, praying for them. Does that make sense? Number two, second question. Praying together was essential to the early church. Should it be to us? Praying together was essential to the early church. So praying individually is important. Super important. But what we see throughout the book of Acts is that they're together as well. They're praying together. They're coming to God together. And that was important. That was super important for them. And some people will say, you know, Jesus said somewhere that if you're going to pray, go into your closet. Don't, let, don't do it for other people to see you. Do it where nobody can see you. And that's true. He did say that. What his point was, his point wasn't to say, don't ever pray with another individual. His point was to say, don't pray in order with the motivation to be applauded. Well, look at him go. That's what he was saying. But he wasn't saying don't ever pray together because the book of Acts is filled with instances where the early church are praying together. And, man, we've, we've been wanting to be a church that would lean into this more and more. That's why we want to have multiple prayer gatherings. Somebody asked me recently, they said, why is the goal to have 10 prayer gatherings happening weekly instead of just a certain number of, of, you know, percentage of our church coming to a prayer gathering? You know, like if we just had Friday night prayer and everybody, you know, like 100 people there, wouldn't that be better? I would say no. I would say it's better to have multiple, and here's why. Here's my argument for that. Number one, you're more engaged, smaller groups. You're more engaged, more participation happening when it's a smaller group praying together. You get a large group together, just my experience, maybe I'm wrong, the most outgoing people are going to do all the praying, and the most introverted are there going, is there a time when I can actually be part of this, Right? And then, but in addition to that, and perhaps more importantly than that, we want to be a church where the needs of our church are constantly going up to God like incense, like we saw in the book of Exodus with the tabernacle, like incense constantly going up. So I would rather see the needs constantly going. I mean, 10 was just a number for this year. We'd love to get to a point where we've got two or three prayer gatherings happening every day of the week that people could go to, where we could be a church that's saying, yeah, anytime, any, any day, there's prayer gatherings happening where there's more prayer gatherings happening in this area because of True Life Church than there are, say, AA groups happening in this area. You know what I mean? So if you don't have a... Um, well, actually, I, I, know, I told you this would be a ramble of thoughts. If you're leading a prayer gathering, make sure most of... If, if you're leading a gathering that you call a prayer gathering, again, make sure... Make sure that most of the time is spent actually praying. We, we, can, we can call something a prayer thing and spend most time talking about what we are going to pray about. And then, well, we got five minutes left. Let's, let's not pray. Like, no, it's a prayer gathering. Like, you don't, you don't, don't spend all the time talking about prayer. Pray together, right? Amen. Frank knows what I'm talking about. And then if one of the ones that we have doesn't work for your schedule, consider starting a new one. Consider starting one. Some people indicated on these surveys, oh, I'd go to one if it had a different time. Well, maybe we can start some more. All right, let me stop there. Let me stop there and get on to the last one. Um, uh, number three, prayer and God's word went hand in hand 
to them, should that be the case for us? Do we need scripture to pray properly? And again, 78% of the people who took that survey said, yes, I believe so. I would wholeheartedly agree with those 78% and say, yes, we need scripture to pray rightly. And I want to give a few reasons why. I'm sorry I'm throwing a lot at you today. Number one reason why we need scripture for prayer. Without scripture, we don't know what to pray for with confidence. We can, we can wonder a lot about, you know, should I go to this college? Should I go to that college? Please, God, lead me. Like we, we can pray those things for sure, but God has revealed certain things that are his will to pray for in his word, and we can pray those things with confidence. We can lean into those things. For example, the other core values of our church, generosity and healing and justice. Like those are things that if you read the Bible, you see that, wow, this really is close to God's heart. And he tells us to pray for these things. So I better be praying for these things. That's one reason. Number two reason, scripture reminds us of how big God is. When you're reading the Bible and you're reading it, not just to walk away with a good little moral nugget for the day, but you're reading it to say, God, show me who you are. You can't help but see how big he is. And when you have a need like, which college should I go to? And you're reminded that God is big, you're like, wait a second, wait a second. Like God's going to like not be sovereign over that decision. Or I, 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 have, I need a new job or I need a new car. You know, we can sometimes pray those things like we're submitting a wish list to some random, you know, guy in the sky who may be too busy for us. I hope he sees this. I hope he gets my letter in the mail. But when we're reminded that, wait, God is huge. He created the world. He's going to provide a job if I need a job. He's going to provide a new car if I need a new car. Right? Like, when you, like here's a few things that popped in my head when, with this. This week, consider reading Genesis 37 through 50. It's a story of Joseph. If you don't get a big view of God by reading the story of Joseph and all that he went through, and God was like not mentioned much at first, and then at the end, at the end of Genesis, at the end of Joseph's story, you see, wow, God was at work in all that pain. Holy cow. And you're just reminded of how big he is. Or the book of Job. Consider reading the book of Job this week, especially the end when God says to Job, where were you when I created? And he lists off all these things, and he just makes Job feel small, and he makes us feel small. Like, yeah, I guess I wasn't around when you created those things. So who am I to dictate terms to you, God? Number three, Scripture reminds us of God's faithfulness. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sorry. Of God's faithfulness. So as we read scripture, we're reminded of what God's done in the past. We're reminded that the promises he made about the coming Messiah came true. Christmas time. Jesus accomplished our salvation. Gave us his spirit. Declared us right. Like we're, we're reminded of that stuff. And we're like, oh, that's right. That's right. There's no condemnation for me anymore. That's right. Like we can rest. We're not praying from a place of angst. Oh, no. We're reminded that he got a hold of our heart. He opened our blind eyes so the family member that we're praying for, he can do the same for them. He can do the same for our son or our daughter, our mother, our father, our friend. And then lastly, 
God directs our unique prayers through Scripture. And I want to just explain what I mean by that. When we're reading Scripture, when I'm reading, uh, um, sometimes I don't feel like praying, right? You wake up in the morning sometimes, I'm just like, i got cobwebs on my brain, and I'm like, I don't even know, what, what do I even care about this morning? I don't even know. But if I start reading, so this past week, is that just me? So I, this past week, I was reading Proverbs 4, and in Proverbs 4, it's talking about uh, walking with the foolish versus walking with the wise. And what came to mind was a specific loved one who's walking with some foolish people right now. Keeps pulling them back into some stuff. So it led me to pray for that person. And otherwise, I may not have been praying for that person that morning if I didn't read that scripture. Another day, I was reading in Romans 11 about God's will to save Israel as a whole, the Jewish people as a whole, generally speaking, saving them as a, as a people so that they trust in Jesus as the Messiah. That one day, that's going to happen. And it led me to pray for Jewish people who don't know Jesus is the actual true Messiah. It led me to pray for the missionaries that we support in Israel. I wouldn't have been praying for those things if I hadn't been reading Romans 11. So it leads us. God leads us and guides us and says, hey, I want you to press into this this morning in prayer. Does that make sense? So I want to pause now. Wow. Is that, is it, what, is it 630 already? All right. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to do we're going to do the other half of this next week. Yeah, cuz here's what I want to do. Here's what I, yeah, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a feeling that might happen. It's the first time this ever happened, but um yeah, that's okay. God's 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 in charge, right? Here's what we're going to do. I want to stop. I want to pause. And I want to ask the question which of those three things that we just talked about, sharing your life with others more regularly, being devoted to others more regularly, do we have a blank screen we can go to? Can we, Jeff, can you just put up a blank screen? So being devoted to each other is number one. Praying together, being devoted to prayer together. Maybe it's as a married couple. Maybe it's just with other followers of Jesus in your life, with your life group. And then number three, using Scripture, being more devoted to Scripture, the apostles' teaching, right, as the foundation for your prayer. Which of those three things might God be highlighting for you right now, heading into 2022, as something for you to be more devoted to? It's, just, it's a question to take a moment. Actually, Ben, why don't you guys come on up here? Just give us some reflection uh, jam. Think about that. Which one might God be highlighting for you to be more devoted to? You know, I'm not saying make it a New Year's resolution. I, I'm saying, I'm saying committed to God. It might be for the next three months, let's say. Maybe you've been, you know, um, making a lot of excuses why you can't gather with other Believers, other followers, of, other people in your church, our church. It's not up to me to determine which excuses are lame and which ones are not. But I think most of us know, right? <laughs> we know in our hearts. Because we have praying together. We, we come up with reasons why. Sometimes I don't like praying with other people. Can I be honest? I don't. 
And it's super awkward sometimes praying with my wife. We pray every day, and it can still be awkward because I feel like I'm interrupting her morning. And, but it's still, God does some awesome stuff in that when we gather together to pray. And that's the one thing that I think the devil wants to keep us away from each other for. Especially when you have some conflict with somebody and you're praying together about it, it can, like, uh, soften the tension. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, sometimes me and Jess are at a crossroads with how to handle something. We're like, let's just pray about it. God, we don't know how to do here. We don't know. I think it should be this. She thinks it should be this. What do we do? And it can just kind of soften the heart a little bit. When we pray together on Thursday morning, one of our prayer gatherings on Thursday with me, you know, Frank and Addie are there and, you know, uh, Robertson's and um, Dornackers. It's, it's a special time. Most Thursday mornings, I don't feel like going. I don't feel like going. And then I'm always glad I did. Well, 90% of the time I'm glad I did. Sometimes I'm just in a mood, right? But God calls us to be committed. So is that something? And then using Scripture, using Scripture, instead of praying just when we have a felt need in our life, but saying, God, you guide my prayers. I want to pray to the big God that you are. I want to pray according to your will. I want to pray according to the story that I'm a part of. I want to pray to the God who is faithful. Remind me of your faithfulness. So which one of those three? Take a moment, ask God. And now, can we do something a little experimental? as an excuse not to come back next week. Just, let's just let's try this. <laughs> Can you turn to somebody around you or maybe find somebody that you know just for a moment and can you share with them what it is that God just highlighted for you of those three things? Take a minute. Take a, have, a, have a short little conversation. Just share with them. 